Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. of freedom. Amen. A revelation of freedom because I believe some of us are going to get free this morning. So this series is about the book of Ruth. Okay. How many of you ever read the book of Ruth before? Yeah, it's a short book, just a few chapters. It's a cool story. It's very nice. You know, there's so much depth to it though. But in order to truly understand the book of Ruth, you have to understand the book of Judges. I I forgot to mention, how do y'all like my Saved by the Bell outfit? This is fly, right? Uh, Everybody do me a favor after church and go tell Cheryl I look good. Because she about cried when she saw my outfit. (laughs) Hey, I'm the Mexican Zach Morris, what can I say? Back to my message, sorry. Pardon the interruption. Squirrel. <laughs> Shark. In order to understand Ruth, we have to understand the book of Judges. How many of you have ever read the book of Judges? Yeah, not as many because we don't like to be judged. But let's dive in because we're, we're not even going to read the book of Ruth today. We can't get there yet. You won't understand it until we understand Judges. So let's go diving in. Judges chapter 17, verse 1. It says, There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. And you got to hone in on this verse. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, I ask that your word would come forth this morning, that it would not be my words. They would be your words. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Work on people's hearts this morning. Deliver us this morning. Free us this morning. We pray for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I'm going to just warn you, this isn't a amen message very much. So I had to make sure you said amen right there because you might be saying ouch a lot today. That was a pretty messed up situation, right? They were talking about, you know, oh, the Lord this and the Lord that. But at the same time, they were making little idols. He had his own shrine. He he ordained one of his sons to be his priest. He had an ephod the way the priests do. But they're worshiping these gods. Does any of that make sense? No, this is complete chaos. This is complete chaos. Anarchy. This whole situation is messed up. They were mixing pagan idol worship with their dedication to God. You see, they still had their one eye on God and one eye on the rest of their idols. And this phrase that we read here, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I want you to remember that phrase. This phrase will ultimately be repeated as an anthem for Israel during this time. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
Now there's a clear contrast between the moods of the book of Judges and the book of Ruth. You ready? In the land of Judges, Israel goes from victory to defeat. From freedom to bondage. And from progress to decline. In the past, Israel was in possession of the promised land that Moses led them to. These were God's people in God's land, in the promised land. But in Judges, they were oppressed by the people of that land. They were in the promised land, but being oppressed by the people there. Does that sound like God's plan? Their song turned into sorrow. Their faith had faded into faithlessness. And the people who had once trusted the Spirit of God for freedom were now living by the flesh. You following me this morning? In the book of Ruth, though, there were no gloomy days. It's the complete opposite. Ruth is a story of loyalty in a time of anarchy. It was an example of purity in a time of immorality. In Ruth, the narrative moves from the battlefield to the harvest field and from pressure to providence. In the book of Ruth, you see a young widowed woman seeking a worthy, godly husband and God provided. How many of you are Ruth in the house this morning and you're seeking a worthy, godly husband? Okay, some hands just went up. We need to pray at the altar after service or somebody needs to call eHarmony. I want to say this. Providence. What does the word providence mean? The word providence means the governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. What? Let me say it again. Providence. The governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. That's really big. If you didn't notice, the universe is rather large. And he cares for and directs all things in it. Therefore, you are included in that. You, individually, your life, your children, your family, you are included in the providence of God. And so when we read this story, because we're going to read a lot about Ruth next week, when we read this story, you're going to see how the hand of God provides. It provides comfort. It provides what she needs. It provides for her heart. It does all these wonderful things. But today, we're going to talk about Judges. Now, the book of Judges is about the seven cycles of sin. Did you know that there are seven, seven cycles to sin? I don't know about you, but I've been bound before. I've been, when, when I was lost, right, when I was in the world, I was bound to a lot of things. I was enslaved, the way the scripture calls it. You become a slave to sin. I was a slave to sin. I know none of y'all here ever sinned before. Mm. Carol, preach my message this morning, Carol. I'm ready. I was lost. I was enslaved to sin. I was bound. And I know what the Bible's talking about when it describes the seven cycles of sin. There is a cycle. And this is where you really want to follow along in the notes. The first one is servitude. And I'm not talking about serving God. It's serving your flesh. That's the first step. You begin to serve your desires. You begin to serve your, your flesh. You begin to serve your fleshly desires. The next one is supplication. You start saying, I'm sorry, like you know it's wrong. And so you stop and you say, I'm sorry. And then God comes in. And salvation comes in. And he saves you. And he pulls you out. And then you rebel again. Sound like any of your teenagers? Hmm? Then you rebel again, right? And then 
God has to do something about it. So there's retribution. And then your heart gets convicted and you repent. And then finally there's rest. And we don't have time to get into all of it, but if you just go read the whole book of Judges, you will see this cycle over and over and over. The people of Israel fell into this over and over. I forget how many judges they had, but every time there was a new judge, it was because they went through this cycle and God had to send them someone else to deliver them. It is a picture of what happens when people follow their flesh. The book of Ruth, however, is about freedom from the cycle. So here are some questions for our study this morning. How did they get bound? How did they get free and how did they stay free? Are you ready? You follow me so far? Okay. Number one, how did they get bound? Here's the answer, very short and sweet. By not completing their victories. See, I was surprised to learn that when God would tell them to go do something, to go take over this land and go do that and go find victory over there, they would go and do it halfway. They would go and do it up to a certain point. They would go and take the land, but not do everything that God said to do in that land. Here's an example, Judges 1.18. It said, Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Get out of here. It flies, man. And Hebrew was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And this isn't the only place we see this. This happens over and over and over again. We see this phrase repeated all throughout Judges. They took the land, but they couldn't drive out the people. Some of them did, some of them didn't. The ones who did drive out people, they lived free. The ones who didn't drive out these people, they lived bound. You see, the people of God took the land, but they don't all follow through with the completion of expulsion of their inhabitants. They have to get rid of these people. Whether it's getting them out, whatever they needed to do, they had to get rid of these people. What's the point? In Judges 2 verse 1 we find it says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give you to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. You see, they were told what to do. When you take this land, get the people out and break down their altars. And they took the land, but they didn't get the people out and they didn't break down their altars. So God comes with the angel of the Lord and he says, you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept and they called the name of that place Bochim and they sacrificed there to the Lord. You see, you have to follow through with the assignments God gives you. If you don't follow through, if you don't complete the task, you might end up like these people. If he tells you to do something, you can't do it halfway. You have to be obedient all the way. These incomplete victories led to Israel's defeat and the subject, subjugation that follows. 
Let's read a little further, Judges 2, 11. It says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Do you see the progression? They start off, yay, we got victory, but it's okay, just leave them over there. And then slowly they start mixing in with the culture that they were supposed to drive out. And that culture attached itself to the people of Israel. And slowly but surely, they began to worship the same gods. They were supposed to crush their idols. Instead, they started bowing to their idols. This is why you cannot mix light and dark. This is why the scripture says that the light drives out the darkness. You can't do things halfway. You can't serve God halfway you can't obey halfway. It has to be an all or nothing mentality. Do you see the progression? They went slowly all the way to worshiping full-blown another God, and they abandoned God himself. You see, sin is very simple. It just means unfaithfulness. That's what it means. Unfaithfulness. When you are unfaithful, it gives birth to oppression. I'm going to say that again. I want you to get that in your head. When someone is unfaithful, it gives birth to oppression. You are in that cycle. And when you are not faithful to God, when you're not faithful to his word, when you're not faithful to the things that he said to be faithful to, you end up in that cycle and you become oppressed. When you don't stay faithful to prayer, when you don't stay faithful to reading God's word, when you don't spend time with him daily and seeking him first, you open up yourself to the possibility of oppression because something is going to rule you. It's either going to be light or it's going to be dark. It's either going to be your spirit or it's going to be your flesh. Something is going to lead you. And you will either live free or you will live oppressed. I don't know about you, but I enjoy living free. I enjoy the freedom that his presence brings. You see, this process, it's slow, right? That, that, that process of becoming oppressed, it's slow, it's subtle, it's not overnight. It, it actually takes time. The enemy is cunning. He knows exactly what to do. He knows how to make you slip up here, a little slip up there, and then eventually your mind starts playing tricks on you, and you go full-blown that direction, and you abandon God altogether. This is what the, judge, the book of Judges describes about the people of Israel, and it's a picture of what we do sometimes in the church. We have these moments where we just completely abandon God. And I'm telling you this morning, that happens when you don't obey him daily. When you don't obey him fully, you may come to church, but that's only part of the obedience. You may be a giver, that's only part of the obedience. I know some great people who are consistent, I mean consistent, like clockwork with their finances and giving, but they are inconsistent in prayer, they're inconsistent in serving, they're inconsistent in church. And that's none of you guys, right? No, not, never, never none of you. Don't say amen, say ouch. No, it's actually not some of y'all. These are people I remember in San Antonio that demonstrated this willingness to always be consistent in one area, but not another. 
And I'm telling you, you can't live that way. Jesus was an all-in personality. He gave it all. He paid it all. Why do you think you can give some or serve some or worship some or obey some? So let's talk a little bit about who was Baal. Baal, man. See, when I started studying for this, it took me down a journey I did not expect. Uh, I, I got to a place where I was like, really? Is this, is this what this message is about? And I actually thought I was on the wrong track for a while. And then I realized, no, 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 no. This is exactly what this is about. Because it's such a picture of our culture, such a picture of our country. Who was Baal? Baal was the same God of the 450 false prophets that Elijah fought against when he called fire down from heaven and then he killed them all. Uh, back when I was in San Antonio, I had a youth group. I had a couple guys in the youth group. I think I told Ramon this because I'm wearing their metal band shirt, Gratitude Texas. Go follow them. Good music. I had, a, I had a couple guys in our youth band back in San Antonio that started a Christian metal band. I'm talking like screaming, you know, all that stuff. It was awesome. I loved it. I recorded their album. I went to their shows. They were great. And the name of their band was We Bring the Massacre. And everybody was always like, dude, what's that about? Are these like horror flick people? Like what's wrong with them? And we were like, no, no, no. You don't understand. We Bring the Massacre. It was about... Elijah, when he killed the 450 false prophets of Baal, he massacred every one of them because they were leading people to worship a false god called Baal. It's a pretty brutal name. We loved it. So here's a picture of what Baal is like. Jeremiah 19, verse 3. It says, You shall say... Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they know, neither nor their fathers, nor their kings of Judah have known. And because, hear this, because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place, I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem and will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds and I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters." And everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege, in the distress, which their enemies and those who seek their lives afflict them. Can someone say, ouch? Man, when I read stuff like that, I start to see the heart of God in a new way. Because he loves his people so much that he gives them his best. But when his people start sacrificing their children, all blessing is off. All providence is gone. All prosperity is removed. All humanity is lost. Throw back up verse 5. 
and have built the high places of Baal, same God, to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Listen, the result of Baal worship ends with cannibalism and child sacrifice. And whether we want to admit it or not, our nation serves Baal. It's not a literal God because we find out they're just demons masquerading as gods. It is a mindset. It's a spiritual death that has occurred. And our nation supports the idea that we can sacrifice our children in the name of freedom. Baal was the god of child sacrifice. Do you know what child sacrifice is? It still happens today, by the way. I, I talked about this long ago. There's a river in China. I forget the name of the river. They literally throw their babies into. It's called infanticide. Anybody have heard this term before? Infanticide. It means post-birth abortion. This is the stuff that our lawmakers were trying to get passed in our nation, and we are still fighting this all the time. They want to be able to kill a baby after it's born. It's called infanticide. It is Baal worship. That's what I said. And we think... We're such free thinkers in America. We're so free. We're, we're awesome. We're amazing. Look at our country. No, 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 no. We are desolate. When we give over our heart to the altars of Baal, what we're left with is child sacrifice and cannibalism. Remember what we read earlier. Remember the theme in Judges 17.6. It says, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the problem with our country. We have stopped telling them that you can't do what's right in your own eyes. Instead, we support people when we say, oh, follow your truth. No, 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 that is not truth. Truth is absolute. It is a person. His name is Jesus. And you can't support the ideas that come out of the crazy ideologies that we hear on a daily basis. If you support those ideologies, we'll eventually get in that cycle. We're already there. We're in the cycle of sin as a nation. And we become oppressed. And we have turned over our land to the inhabitants that we were supposed to drive out spiritually. And now, more than ever, Planned Parenthood is getting funded like crazy. The world is lost its direction and now worldwide it seems normal to abort children and kill them after birth listen i am never a person that is here to con condemn anyone i have met and talked with several young ladies before who've had an abortion most of the time they're broken they're hurting they they, they they're still scarred from from that trauma and there's grace for any person that's ever done that. But as a pastor of a church, I cannot stand up here and say that it's okay to think that it's your body, your choice. That's what Judges was saying when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You cannot do what is right in your own eyes and think you're serving God. You have to do what God said to do and then you are right. This is what happened to them. They did not drive out the people. And because they didn't drive out the people, they started learning their ways. And when they started learning their ways, they began to think like them. And when they started to think like them, they began to worship like them. And when they began to worship like them, we saw it in the very first scripture we read. They're worshiping God and they got their shrines and their son is a priest of these little things in their house. It's all mixed. It's all blended. It's all 
anarchy. It's chaos. There's no true dedication to the true God. It's we're going to serve a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's what we've done. We've said it's okay to stay the way you think you were born to be. Instead of conforming to the image of Christ that the Bible tells us to conform to. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, we forget that these scriptures are here to tell us how to live. Not so we can live the way we want to and just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, we're good. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds a lot like our generation. Listen, to be pregnant, to have a baby in your womb means promise. There's a promise coming. There's a promise coming. To give birth to that baby means provision has come. The promise is fulfilled. And remember what providence means, the governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. You see, he gave you that child. By his grace, by his providence. And when we say it's okay to take it out without the opportunity to take its first breath, we are disobeying God himself. And we are worshiping a false God. I can't tell you how many sonograms I've seen of a baby just a few weeks old moving like crazy. You can't tell me that thing's not alive. It's got a beating heart. It's alive. That was a gift of God. And when we start to kill off the gifts of God, we kill off our future. And when we support that idea for others, we worship with them the false God of Baal. When a baby is aborted, a promise is killed and provision is cut off. Who are we to cut off the provision of God? I hope no one here ever has to go through it, but me and Shara have lost two children. We know what it's like. And I can't imagine someone intentionally wanting to inflict that on themselves. Because you don't know disappointment until you go through something like that. Some of you know what I mean. Some of you have been through it. <laughs> you think you get disappointment. You're disappointed because, you know, <laughs> you didn't get the, the, the best car you wanted. <laughs> or, or, you know, the job that you were hoping for. You get disappointed. But you don't know disappointment. So you lose a child. You just don't. It's different. You don't know what that feels like until you've gone through that. And I can't imagine a heart that says they serve God and serves Baal at the same time. That must be the most conflicted heart imaginable. What did Jesus say about Baal? There's always this big conflict. Well, Jesus never talked about abortion. Oh, really? Let's talk about it. What did Jesus say about Baal? In Matthew 12, 27, I didn't give you all these scriptures, but in Matthew 12, 27, Jesus called Satan, you ready for this? He called the devil himself, Beelzebub. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that in the scripture? He called the devil himself, Beelzebub. Do you know what Beelzebub means? Beelzebub means Baal. He called the devil himself, Baal. You see, Baal is not a real God. It's a fake thing that the enemy has disguised himself with. It's a mask. He called Satan himself Baal Zebub. 
<laughs> That's what it means. It's actually Baal himself he's talking about. The same Baal we just read about. The Baalim, the plurality of this. There was multiple Baals, by the way. There was a Baal for everything about life. The Baalim of the Old Testament were nothing more than demons masquerading as gods. Listen, all idolatry, all idolatry ultimately ends with Baal worship. Devil worship. You can call this or that devil worship. No, no, no. It's only devil worship when it abandons God and starts sacrificing off children in the name of freedom. Told y'all. This wasn't one of those messages where y'all all said amen the whole time. Let's go a little deeper about Baal. Baal, Baal. I put all this in your notes. I'm not hiding anything from y'all. This is exactly what I'm saying. This is the interest, most interesting thing of this to me. Baal means master or husband. This is where it got weird for me. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that Baal's name means husband? Didn't we just talk about how Ruth was in search of a husband? You see, the body of Christ is striving to be ready for her husband, right? The Bible says that God is coming back one day for a bride that is without spot and without wrinkle, that is pure, not a racist bride, not a child-killing bride. He's coming back for a pure bride without spot or wrinkle, and one day we will have our husband in the Lord. And Baal has tried to replace him and be our husband The enemy has always had a counterfeit option to everything God does. So when God says, I'm going to provide for my church a husband in Jesus Christ, Satan said, I'm going to provide for my people a husband in Baal. We cannot allow our hearts to follow what this world says. We cannot allow our life to be dictated by what this world says. We have to let our life be led by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we find real freedom. We find true freedom. Worship team, y'all can come back up. I promise I have some good news for you this morning. <laughs> I see y'all looking at me like, when's it going to stop? <laughs> I promise. What does, what does bondage mean? I, you know, I, I, went, I told you I went on a journey with this and I had to look up everything. I was just, I was floored by some things I was reading and I read a whole lot that I didn't put in here because it just gets too much, you know. But what does bondage mean? This was another one that I was like, okay, calm down. Did you know that the word religion comes from a Latin word meaning to bind fast. Let's say that again. The word religion in the Latin means to bind fast. To bound up. The idea behind the term religion is that the person devoted to it is bound under obligation of some sort. Religion 
can easily turn into a type of spiritual bondage when we allow our fears of hell, judgment, or demonic activity to control us, or when we adopt a religious mindset that says, if I don't perform like this and like that, some ritual, then there's going to be some bad consequences. I don't, I can't tell you how many times someone text messages me, is it okay to do smudging? You know, that stuff where they light it on fire and they walk around their house and they drive out the evil spirits and they drive out the bad energy in the corners and all this garbage. I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me that question. You see, those things are religious practices that people adopt because they don't know the Holy Spirit. And when you know the Holy Spirit, you don't have to go get some magic paper that you burn. You don't have to burn some incense. No, no, no. Your heart should be on fire. You're burning. And when you're burning, nothing can be in your home. You're the one that's supposed to be on fire. You're not supposed to be lighting some match, some candle. Those things are religions that have been created to keep you bound. This is not biblical truth. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. There's so much fear in the world right now. And it's perpetuated over and over and over by the media. And the more you listen to it, the more fearful you become. But that is not who Jesus is. I refuse to partner with a spirit of fear. I refuse to say yes to anything that tells me I should bow at the idol of fear. Instead, I'm going to read 1 John 4:18 that says his perfect love casts out all fear. You see, you don't partner with fear. You physically and violently cast it out. But you can't do it smudging. You can't do it lighting a candle. You can only do it by burning with the Holy Ghost fire on the inside of you. We are not saved by rituals we perform. Your house is not blessed by some ritual you perform. In fact, Jesus said that ritualistic religion does nothing but load people down with burdens that they can't carry. Luke eleven forty six, he says, all that religion just loads you down and loads you down and loads you down and loads you and you can't carry. Here, let me give you my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Trade that in. You see, another name for religion is yoke. I'm telling you. People who believe in Christ are given rest. Come on, they're given peace. If you believe in Christ, you should have rest in you. You should be at peace. Man, I don't go home, turn on the TV and say, how much more fear can I take in today? Heck no. I go home and I say, thank you, Jesus. I am at peace. I am always at peace. My children are at peace. My family is at peace. My church is at peace. We are at rest because we are in the presence of God. And when you are given over to Christ, you are spiritually protected. Look, nothing in your home that you hang on your wall is going to protect you. It's got to hang in your heart. Nothing that you put up there, oh, rub this and rub it that way and then do this and get the egg and no, no, none of that works. It's more demons masquerading as a ritual. You have to serve the real God with your real heart. Let's stand. I'm believing for healing this morning. 
I'm believing for deliverance this morning. I'm believing for freedom this morning. Listen, if you've been oppressed your whole life, <laughs> if you've been weighed down with religion your whole life, there is freedom for you today. You can be free today. I realize where I'm at. I'm from San Antonio, and, and a lot of that stuff is mixed in. There's so many religions mixed in. I come down here, and it's like, wow, it's, it's even deeper. There's such religion in this city. It's all mixed in, and you can be free from that. You are not, hear me clearly, you are not what you are tempted with. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to fall into it. But you are not what you are tempted with. You are who God says you are. All God wants, all God wants is you. He wants you. You see, for so many years, people will come and say, oh, the church just wants my money. The church just wants my time. The church just wants this. No, no, no. That's what we need. But what God wants is your heart. What God wants is the real you. And when God has the real you, all that other stuff is normal. See, it's not normal to you because he didn't have your heart yet. He wants the real you. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. He wants you from head to toe, inside and out, your past, present, and future. He wants it all. You can't serve him halfway. You can't be obedient halfway. You have to be all in. Can somebody say all in this morning? God is a jealous God, but he's not jealous because he's attention hungry. He's not jealous because he wants all the praise to himself. He's jealous because if you start to look at another God, you will fall into oppression. And he doesn't want that from you. He doesn't want that for your life. So he's jealous for you because he wants you to live your real life the way he intended it to, the way he wanted you to be really on fire. And you can't be on fire serving another God. You can't be on fire worshiping Baal. You can't be on fire living the way the world says you should live. So he's jealous for you, yes, not because he's attention-seeking, but because he doesn't want you oppressed. He wants you free. I'm going to say this. Your truest you is not who you are in secret. I know a lot of people have said this before. I've said it myself in the past. Oh, you, the real you is the, is the person you are in secret. No, 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 no. That's another level of man's thinking. The truest you is who you are in his presence. We're talking about worship this morning. Our true identity isn't found in us. Therefore, our truest identity isn't even found when we're alone. That's not the truest us. That may be how our flesh responds to things. But the truest us is who we are in his presence. How we respond to his presence. When his presence is in the room, do we cower in fear? Do we run and hide? Do we get antsy? And when is he going to stop talking? I'm ready for lunch. Or do we fall on our face? Do we worship the king? Do we respond with faith? Do we love him back? Do we tell him thank you father for all you've done? See the truest you is who you are in his presence. Stop believing that you are what you've done. Stop believing that you are what you fell into. No, no, no. You are who God says you are. And you find that identity. You find that freedom only in his presence. What did we learn last week? What does Jesus' name mean, Ramon? Deliverer. Rescuer. Right? He's our deliverer. He's our rescuer. He's our defender. 
That's what we learned about his name, Yeshua Mashiach. He is our defender, our deliverer, our rescuer. Why do we live in such a way that we have to think we're bound to this and we're bound to that? No, 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 I'm free because Jesus says I'm free. Therefore, I'm going to worship like I'm free. There is only one response to a God like that. There's only one response to a God like that, and that is true worship. See, I feel like there's people in here this morning. You're connected. You may be reading your Bible. You may be serving. You may be involved. You may worship. But man, your heart's not burning. And you want that fire to burn. Oh, you see, what you don't understand is that when God wanted a sacrifice, when God wanted worship, he said, burn me something. And it was always an animal. And then when Jesus came and did what he did on the cross, he said, no, 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 no more animal sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. Now what needs to burn is you. But here comes the devil doing the same stuff. Let's give a sacrifice. Let's burn some stuff. Let's burn our children. That's a good one. That's, that's smart. That's wise. Let's burn our children. Let's burn our promise. Let's burn our future. And today, he's still saying, let it burn. But he wants you to burn with passion for things that have no business in your life. You see, one way you're going to burn. One way or another, you are going to burn. The question is, whose fire will you catch? Whose fire will you have within you? His presence is the goal. His presence is the point. And His presence is our home. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.